Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Well, once again, it is a, ble- a pleasure to be able to introduce Brother Dale Bigham. Uh, he is such a wonderful blessing last night, and, and we are so thankful for everything uh, that God has done in our hearts personally. And if you're here for us the first time, let me just say, I think that you will be blessed tonight. Uh, what I saw last night is just a man that God uses, a man of humility, and I'm so thankful for his spirit and his preaching and his uh, willingness to let God use him. So, Brother Bigham, come on. We're looking forward to another message this evening. God bless you. Thank you. Well, we enjoyed being here last night. I enjoyed meeting all of you, and I, uh, I have to tell you, just uh, it's not always what you think. You know, you, we moved from Texas to Oklahoma, then to Missouri, and you always have preconceived notions of what certain places are going to be like. For example, Texas always makes fun of Oklahoma, always. Missouri always makes fun of Arkansas, right? I mean, yeah, sure you do. And, and that, that's two-way street, back and forth. And um, so moving from Texas to Oklahoma, I got a call from my brother, and he said, well, he said, uh, I guess you know, having moved from Texas to Oklahoma, you made uh, both states happy. And I said, uh, how did I do that? He said, well, you moved from Texas to Oklahoma. You raised the IQ in both states. <laughs> <laughs> so then when I moved to Missouri, he called me and he said, well, I guess you know, you made both states happy. <laughs> and that's as far as I'm going. You know, I know where I am. You don't, have to, you don't have to be around us very long to know that that wasn't true about raising the IQ in both states, you could tell that because we were standing during that last song when we were supposed to be sitting. We proved that. That that fixed that. Don't listen to him. He doesn't got anything to say. Meet me in Psalm 5, would you? The book of Psalms, the fifth Psalm. The introduction for this message tonight is very brief. So I'm going to encourage you to catch on fast. To look hard. Focus, listen carefully. This, this message, again, has lots of information to get to the main thing I'm really wanting to impress upon you. I call this message the, the Iron Dome of God's Favor. The Iron Dome of God's Favor. And I call it that because if you look at Psalm 5 and verse 11 and 12, and this is David, and he says, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout 
for joy. Because, now he's going to tell you why we should be, um, why those who trust in the Lord should be rejoicing. He's going to tell us why. He says, because thou, talking about God, defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Now, I, you've, got to, you've got to picture this. Don't just hear this. Picture this, because I think he's, I mean, what you're going to find in this message tonight is that, uh, that David and, 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 and Paul, when we get to the New Testament, David and Paul, they, they were artists almost. They, they write in, in ways that if you'll think about it, you can see, you can see what they're saying. And he's, he's imaging here for you how God cares for those that trust him and those that love him. And he describes him as one that defendeth us. And, and what you're going to find out is that in the Old Testament, David, the artist, if you will, pictured the Lord Jesus uh, shielding, God shielding his people, defending his people. And then when you get into the New Testament, you're going to see the same thing, the different different artists, but it's the same, uh, which, which tells me, you know, we know who the inspiration for the, for, the, for the Bible is, and the Holy Spirit worked in David's life and says, write this, and it'll image this, it'll picture this truth. And he had Paul write the same thing, he said, write this, and it'll image this truth, and you'll see what I'm saying in a minute. But look at verse 12. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous... With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Father, I need you tonight. I've never, I've never supposed that I didn't. I've, I readily admit and have no problem admitting my need for you. And I just know that you're faithful. And you love these people more than I do. You know them better than I do. You know what they need more than I do. So, Father, tonight, work through me, if you will, by your Spirit and this Word to bless and enrich and encourage and draw folks to yourself. And we'll just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This text, many people believe, was written by David as he was going through a very difficult time in his life. If you can think about it, he's being hunted by his son. And some of his former soldiers, they're after him. He's, he, he, they're in his sights. And so you can imagine, if you will, the torment. I can't imagine being hated and hunted by your own son. But David is in that experience. He's experiencing that. He's feeling that. He's bearing the burden, the weight of that. His own son is after him to, to destroy him. And so David takes comfort in what God says that he does for those that trust him. And I'm going to read you verse 11 and 12 again. He says, But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee, for thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor, wilt thou compass him as with a shield. What David does here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he images... David, in need of defending, 
And the Lord, with a shield of favor, compassing him, any which way danger might come from, David, uh, the, the Lord is there, God is there as a shield defending him. He's disallowing, get that word in your mind, he's disallowing anything in the life of David, his child, because he trusts in God, and he's disallowing, he's, he's defending, he's denying access, and he just pictures that, Lord, my son's after me, some of my former soldiers are after me, but I'm sitting here at rest, and I'm sitting here comforted because I know you compass me and defend me with the shield of your favor. Now, we have to walk through this. I want, you to, I want you to walk through this. The reason I call this the Iron Dome is because right now in Israel, the country of Israel right now, they have what they call, have, what they call is the Iron Dome missile defense system. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a system that is automated, it's a system that is portable. If you saw the image of it, it looks like a, a, a large pickup truck with, a, with a, a box of tubes on it. And in every tube there is a missile. And you do know from watching the news that the enemies of Israel, and they're surrounded by their enemies, the enemies of Israel fire multiple missiles constantly into the land of Israel. And we would suppose that Israel would be decimated, that it would not even be on the map anymore. But God, through His providence, and has in, enabled them to have this Iron Dome missile system, and it's automated, radar computerized, that any time a missile is fired at them, this system picks it up, measures its trajectory, automatically wheels and fires its own missile and takes out the incoming missile, defending those people. And they can pick up missiles from miles away or in close and do the same thing. And do you know they say that that missile system is 90% accurate? That's pretty impressive by my imagination. If, you, if you're not following what I'm saying, it's like you're on one mountain and I'm on another mountain. You've got a 30-06 and I've got a 30-06 and you shoot at me and I shoot your bullet out of the air. Pretty impressive. I'm just saying to you this evening that David had has that kind of an image in his mind when he says, my enemies are after me, but I have no fear. I am at rest. I am comforted, though the enemies are after me, because by your favor, you compass me and you deny and disallow those things that would hurt me and harm me. Now, let's walk through this. Let me just ask you, or ask some questions and I'll answer them. Number one, what is God's favor? Because that's what he says. He says in verse 12, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. Wilt thou compass him as with a shield? Favor is like, a, the, favor is like the privilege that comes from a relationship. 
Your children hopefully have favor with you. You're going you're gonna to probably leave an inheritance to your children. You're not going to do that to other people's children because your children, because they're yours, they have favor with you. Now, he speaks about who, who he's speaking of here. And, for example, David, he says in verse, verse 2, you have an understanding that David's talking about his God. He said, hearken unto the voice of my cry, And then David says, my king and my God. So there's a relationship between David and God. And because there is that relationship between David and God, God shields him or defends him. There's perks. There's favor. He talks about hearing the voice of David. He talks about David being welcome in God's presence in verse 7. He says, but as for me. In other words, there's a distinction between just the average man and the child of God. The child of God is welcome in God's presence. He says, but as for me, verse 7, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. So we know what favor is. Favor is a privilege that comes from a relationship with God. Now then, who experiences this favor? Who experiences this favor? This, is, this refines it just a little bit. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. Can I just tell you, you don't earn favor with God. It comes as a blessing. It comes as a blessing by His grace. Thou wilt bless, He says. It's not deserved. It can't be purchased. It's not achieved. It is a blessing from God's heart. And it is a blessing upon the righteous. Look what He says in verse 12. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. Now, I want you to understand something here. This has to be, and I I want to slow down just a little bit. This has to be, first, imputed righteousness. I don't have, uh, let me say it this way, there is enough unrighteousness in my practical righteousness that I couldn't deserve God's shielding for 30 seconds, much less 30 minutes. When he talks about the righteous here, he's talking about imputed righteousness. When you get over into the, you get over into the Bible, into the book of uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, and he talks about to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And then he goes on to say that he made Christ sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know what he's saying? This is it. So many people, and I I get weary with this fuzzy type of theology. They say, well, God God is good, and therefore he saves people. God is loving, therefore he saves people. God is merciful, therefore he saves people. You're absolutely right that God is good and God is loving and God is merciful, but nobody gets saved just because God is good and God is loving and God is merciful. The only reason anybody can be saved is because God takes the sin of the sinner, He took the sin of every sinner and put it upon Christ who knew no sin. And when we accept Christ, then He takes all of Christ's righteousness and imputes it to our account. That's how you get to heaven. It's not because God loves you into heaven and God just over, over, uh, closes His eyes to your sin. 
God is able to give us and offer us salvation by grace because His sinless Son came and gave His life on Calvary. He bore all of my sin, past, present, and future, on Himself, on the cross, paid for Him by His sinless blood, and then God can then invite sinners to come and we can have Christ's complete righteousness imputed to us. I was at a, pulled into a nursing home to uh, make a visit, a pastoral visit, and as soon as I pulled into the parking lot and I was getting out of the car, a gentleman come walking over rapidly to the car, and he said, he said, sorry for bothering you, but he said, uh, years ago, he said, I got a, 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 a ticket written to me and cost me money because I had a, a parking light out. And he said, I vowed that I was going to tell everybody I saw that had a parking light out that your parking light's out. So he said, I just hope you don't mind, but your parking light's out. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And then he was still into talking and stuff. And and I said, well, you know, I'm a preacher. And I said, "I've, I've, I've tried to talk to people about the Lord. And so let me ask you something. You, you talk to me, and I'm, I'm grateful. Let me talk to you. I said, uh, if you were to die and you're standing outside God's heaven, and he says to you, why should I let you in my heaven? I said, what would you say? And he took a thinking pose. He, t- he took, purposefully took a thinking pose. And he said, and he repeated my question, I died and I'm outside the gates of heaven, and God asked me, why should he let me in? What am I going to say? And I said, that's the question. He said, I'm going to say this. Father, I don't deserve to be in your heaven, but I have and am relying upon the propitiation of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me on Calvary, And so I'm expecting to be welcome in heaven. And all I could do is put out my hand and say, you are my brother. He had an understanding of how you become a child of God, how you get God's favor. There's only one way. The Bible said there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And if you don't know him, you're 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 not yet welcome in heaven. You can be. Because at this point, his arms are still open. He's still welcoming. He's still inviting. You can be if you would be willing to come to God through the provision of Jesus Christ, his son. So that's how, that's how you get this favor. You have to come to God through Christ and, and, and uh, accept what Jesus did on Calvary as the substitute for your sin. And you're welcome in God's family and you have God's favor. And he shields, he compasses you and shields and disallows into your life things that he doesn't want or he will not allow into your life. Now, here's the third thought. What does, God, what does God's favor shield us from? What does God's favor shield us from? Well, I'm just going to give you very rapidly three or four things. He shields us from ever being cast out of his family. That's not going to happen. You, you get in God's family, you're never going to be cast out. 
You say, well, what if? Just don't even go with the what ifs. You know what Jesus said? He says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He's going to shield me from ever being condemned. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to hell. I'm not worried about going to hell. Because he said, I'm going to shield you. I'm going to compass you. As a shield, you'll never experience condemnation. He'll shield me from being ever outside of his providential working. Think about it. He'll, I'll never, as a child of God, I'll never be outside of his providential working. The Bible says that those that love God, that to those that are called according to his purpose, he said all things work together for good. God's going to work in every situation. God's going to cause something to come out of it. It may be painful. I'm not saying everything you experience, he's not gonna, there's not going to be any pain. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that I can trust my Father that he's ever working in every situation in my life. He's going to shield me from ever being separated from the love of God. He makes that clear. He's going to shield me from ever experiencing a temptation that's not accompanied by an escape. Now, I want you to think with me. He's going to shield me from ever experiencing a temptation that's not accompanied by an escape. And some people say, and, and, and let me tell you, that's a little more involved than it, than it sounds like because some of God's exit ramps we're made aware of when we are responsible when what He's told us to do. For example, not trying to get in your face or anything, but He's told us to go to church. And when you go to church, you learn about what is temptation. And you learn how to avoid temptation. And you learn how to be strengthened through the Holy Spirit of God. And you learn how to be strengthened through the Scripture. And you, and you have friends and you have folks to help you and you have support and such. And so someone gets in, uh, they're tempted, they fall into temptation. They say, I didn't see, I didn't see an escape. And if the Lord was to speak, you'd say, you would have seen the escape if you'd have been where you were supposed to have been. If you'd, have been, if you'd have been taking in what I told you to do. But he, he promises there's never going to be a temptation that I experience. Now, I'm not saying that I'm going uh, to be temptation free. He doesn't promise us that. And I'm not saying that I'm going to have victory in every temptation or be victorious in every, every temptation. Because my old flesh still debates the Spirit of God that dwells within me. But I'll never be able to say, well, it's not my fault. No, it's, 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 it's our fault. But he shields us from all these things. So we know what God's favor shields us from. We know who gets it. Those who have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus. We know what he shields us from. Condemnation, uh, uh, aloneness, if you will, loss of love, temptation without escape. Well, what does God not shield us from. This is number four, if you're taking notes. God's favor does not shield us from everything we'd like to be shielded from. He doesn't shield us from everything. You get that picture if you read the book of Job. 
He doesn't shield us from everything. You get that picture if you listen to the Lord talking to, to Peter and saying that Satan hath desired to have you and sift you as wheat. You get, he doesn't shield us from everything. You, you understand that if you listen to Paul. And Paul said there was a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him with this thorn in the flesh. And so why didn't, why didn't God shield Paul from that? Because he doesn't shield us from everything. So the question is, what does he not shield us from? Well, God does not shield us from the consequences of our disobedience. I just, in, in my mind, it helps me. I just see, when I disobey, I just see, to some degree, God lifting the shield. Now, there's some things He's always going to shield me from. We've covered that. But I, I, you don't get to, you don't get to uh, blame God for the consequences of our own disobedience. Right. He lifts the shield. You can't look up and say, Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't shield us from the consequences of our disobedience. He doesn't shield us from the trials that will grow us. Nobody likes trials. They're heavy. Heart-wrenching. But you know, I've learned some things in a trial that I wouldn't, couldn't learn any other way. I think it was... Uh, uh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, it'll come to me in a minute. But the cowboy from Oklahoma, Will Rogers. Will Rogers said, you learn, you learn some things from picking a cat up by the tail that you can't learn in any other way. That's the truth. That's the truth. A cat can do things you just can't imagine if you pick it up by its tail. But you know, God, God doesn't shield us from every trial. And the trial may not be because of your disobedience. The trial might be for your growth. Or the trial might be for someone else's growth. God wants to show someone else His strength in you. And so He doesn't shield you from a trial. Nor will He shield you from, and we need to get this, nor will He shield us from the perilous times prophesied prior to the rapture. Now, I don't know when the rapture is going to take place, and if anybody tells you they do, turn them off right there, because they don't. But I do know what it's going to be like before the rapture. The Bible talks about perilous times. Now, we may have, as a world or as a country, I don't know, we may have revival a hundred times before Jesus comes. But when Jesus comes, it will be in perilous times. In other words, this, we, may, we may do this, come to God, get away from God. I, I don't have any idea. But I'm just telling you, perilous times will exist prior to the rapture, and God's not going to deliver us from that. And I, it, it appears to me that we're getting real close. But I'll have to say this, and, and, and I'm 70 years old, and that, that's not a lot of years necessarily, but I remember being a young boy, 7 or 8 or 10, and all the preachers at that time thought, it's getting close. It'll be in our lifetime. It can't get much worse. Well, it has. <laughs> so I don't know 
what it's, I don't know how dark, and you don't either, how dark it will be before Jesus comes. If I understand the Scripture, when Jesus comes, it's not going to be, okay, y'all finally got that cleaned up down there enough? Okay, I'll come. It's not going to be that. It's going to be like, I need to go get my kids right now. A rescue mission where the world has become so dark and so dismal and, and God has a remnant that's standing and loving Him and being faithful to Him, and He has to, he has to go get them. And, and when He comes, it's going to be a rescue for us. And, and newsflash, the world at large is going to be relieved we're gone. Glad we got rid of them. And they're going to be happy for a little while. And then God's going to start pouring out His wrath. I'm just saying to you, that time may not be in my lifetime, may not be in yours, but it may be. And God's not going to spare His children. He's not going to shield His children from the perilous times just prior to the rapture. So here's the question and here's the message. What do we do when the Lord lets something pass His shield? What do we do when the Lord raises the shield, whether it's consequence for your sin, whether it's trial, whether it's perilous times, what do we do when the Lord lifts His shield? I want you to meet me in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And here Paul, Paul is used of the Holy Spirit to paint a picture and, he, and it's a military-type picture, just like David's was. David was a military-type picture, and God was defending him, shielding him with his favor. But in Ephesians 6 and verse 16, let's read verse 12 first. He says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And look at verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now he's... David said, God defends, compasses with the shield of favor. Here, God said, you take the shield of faith. You take it. You pick up the shield of faith. Now, I want you to note something interesting. David's was his, the shield that God, the shield of favor denied access he defended. He disallowed things to come into David's life. He disallowed injury and harm. He protected him. Here, with the shield of faith, where he tells us, above all, take the shield of faith. And look what he says is going to happen. Taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You're not going to, with the shield of faith, disallow you're not going to, with the shield of faith, deny. But what you can do is, with the shield of faith, you'll take the hit. I mean, the dart is going to come. 
The, the, the hurt is going to be there. The pain is going to be there. But you say, well, I don't know what to do. When God lifts the shield, I don't know what, and lets something come through. I don't know what to do. He told us, take the shield of faith. It's coming. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. It's going to be serious. You don't wrestle with flesh and blood. It's going to be difficult. But he says, with the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench. You'll be able to You're going to be hit, but you'll be able to stop the damage. You won't become a casualty with the shield of faith. With the shield of faith, you'll be able to not keep the the darts of the devil and the injury, what God allows through, to come through. But with the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench its harm because the devil wants to take you out. The, the consequence he, wa- he wants to use to put you on the sidelines. He wants to send something through that God lets through past the shield of favor. And he wants to injure you and cause you to get offended and cause you to be bitter and cause you to be angry and cause you to dislike the brethren and cause you to become rebellious and bitter. That's what he wants. And God says, you take the shield of faith and when that offense comes, when that injury comes, when that damage comes, with the shield of faith, you can quench the damage. You say, well, what is, what is, what is, Taking the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith is still believing. Still believing. Taking the shield of faith is serving still. Loving still. Rejoicing still. World's getting darker. The enemy is getting more fierce. God's allowed some things through that hurt and extract and cause pain and injury. Your shield, your taking the shield of faith is you still believing. You taking the shield of faith is you still praising, still worshiping, still praying, still loving, still giving, still, still witnessing. Still talking to people about the Lord, still loving your pastor, still loving the brethren, still being a contributor to the unity of, and, and, and of the church and, and the ministry. That's taking the shield of faith. I'm just telling you in the Christian life, because you know the Lord, you have imputed righteousness because you know the Lord. God defends you and there's a lot of things he's not going to let through. But then there are, will be those things. Maybe they're the consequences of our sin. Maybe there's a trial for us or for someone else. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's perilous times that you live in. It's going to come through. But he says, now you take the shield of faith, and in everything that, that I allow through, you just continue to believe, continue to pray, continue to serve, continue to give, continue to love, continue to witness. You'll quench the dark. The best way I think maybe I can explain to you what I'm talking about is illustrate it to you. I pastored a gentleman. He was in the church when I went to Amarillo in 1981. And I was in the church until he, until he passed away. And um, his name was uh, Clayton. And Clayton and Donna Fortenberry, good members, good, the, the kind of member that, you know what, and, and I, I love Donna because she was my wife's friend. And every pastor's wife needs a friend. And, and Donna didn't want anything. She just wanted to be a friend. And, and I loved her for that. 
And Clayton was pretty much the same way. He was one of our deacons. He was supportive in every way. He wasn't, he wasn't a yes man, but he was supportive and loved him. He was just a good man. I just loved him. One day Clayton called and said, Preacher, said, uh, said, I don't think you've ever met her, but we have a grown daughter that lives out of state, and she died suddenly, and we're going to bring her back to Amarillo and bury her out at the cemetery. And I just wondered if you could meet us out there and, and uh, maybe say a few words and pray and have a service for our family. And I said, well, sure, I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. I, I'm sure sorry that happened. I tried to minister to him. We met at the cemetery and had that service and such and, and then went on about our way. About two weeks later, phone rang, and it was, it was Clayton. And he said, the preacher said, I, I, I'm sorry to bother you, but he said, uh, Deborah, that was his daughter that passed away, her daughter, um, her teenage daughter, couldn't deal with her death and took her life and uh, said, we're going to bring her back to Amarillo and bury her next to her mother. And I just wondered if you could meet us out to the cemetery and, and have, a, have a prayer and a few words. And I said, I sure will. So we did that. It was just a week or so later, I got a phone call, and it was Clayton. He said, Preacher, he said, Deborah's other daughter who lives here is in the hospital, and she's trying to give birth to her baby, and her baby was stillborn, and they can't figure out why. It could have just been the stress, maybe, of losing her mother and losing her, sis her sister. And said, uh, the baby was stillborn, and so we're going to have a little service for it, and just wondered if you could meet the family out there at the cemetery and say a few words and have a prayer. I said, I will. You know, and we deal with things like that with, with humor. We and the family, and we said, got to saying things, you know, we're going to have to stop meeting like this, you know, and things like that. And we were all saved people and knew the Lord, just good people and stuff. And so we thought it was over. I just thought, surely, God bless Clayton Strong. God bless Clayton and Donna. About a month later, I get a Saturday morning, I get a phone call, and it's from the Amarillo Police Department. And they said, are you Mr. Bigham? Yes, I am. He said, do you know uh, Clayton Fortenberry? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, his wife just got out of bed and was walking across the floor to go to the restroom and just fell over dead and said, uh, He'd ask that you'd come. So we went, and, you know, I don't know what to say to Clayton at this point. I mean, God's lifted the shield, and his daughter, and his granddaughter, and his great-granddaughter, and now his wife. But here's why I'm telling you that story. On the following Sunday morning, I'm sitting over here, and our auditorium is about like yours, kind of a wraparound like this. I'm sitting over here, and out of the corner of my eye, I catch Clayton, and he's sitting right where he and Donna always sat, in the second row. And he's got his songbook up there, and we're close enough. I can see the demeanor of his face, the quivering lips, the tears. And we're singing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And he's singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That is taking the shield of faith. I still believe.
hurting, lost, confused, but I still believe. I'm telling you tonight, God has an iron dome around everybody that's saved. Now, if you don't know Jesus, if you, you say, well, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I just kind of believed everybody's going to heaven because God loves us. Well, that's not true. You've got, there's got to be a time in your life when you accepted Christ's payment for your sin. And if that's you tonight and that's never happened, you need to settle that so you can enjoy God's favor, God's shielding and denying. And then maybe you are a child of God tonight and God's allowed some things in. Maybe it's some of your consequences for something you've done. Maybe it's an offense somebody else done. You need to take the shield of faith. And maybe you need to come tonight and spend a few minutes with the Lord and say, Father, I didn't respond too well to this last event, and I'm understanding that, that I was supposed to take the shield of faith. Father, help me do that. Maybe you know somebody that needs encouragement and prayer, and you would come and pray for them tonight and say, Father, what can I do to, for them that would enable or help them to take the shield of faith? Stand with me, please. Father, I'd ask you to speak to hearts tonight. I thank you for your love and goodness. I thank you for these people and how they've listened tonight. I thank you for, oh, that you, that you shield us. Where would we be if you did not shield us? And then... And then you give us enabling grace, enabling strength, enabling comfort when you do allow something through for us to take the shield of faith. Help these people here tonight, if there's one that's unsaved, burden their heart, convict their heart, cause them to not be able or not want to rest until they've got settled, that they know you as their, your, their personal Savior. So speak to hearts tonight in that regard. And then for your children, help them, Father. Those who are carrying large, heavy burdens now, help them to take the shield of faith and help the rest of us to know how to bless them as they do that and encourage them. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?